What's up, Red Letter Disciples? It's good to be with you again. My name is Zach Zender, host of the Red Letter Disciple, bringing my co-host Chris Johnson back in a couple minutes to the show. This mission of this podcast is to challenge you, wherever you are, to be a greater disciple of Jesus. Because when we all step into that, when we become great disciples, which by the way, God has given you everything you need to be a great disciple. When we do that, we give the world a greater, truer, fresher expression, more beautiful expression of who Jesus really is. That's going to be what changes the world. Today's episode is going to be awesome. It's a rock star episode. We got Jesse Crookshank into the show today. Jesse is, I describe her as a, a Pentecostal neurologist who also just happened to graduate from Harvard. So you're going to find out in the very first like legitimate question that we asked Jesse, you're going you're gonna to realize, yeah, I can tell she went to Harvard. But here's what's cool. You're going to realize that, but she also like isn't over your head. It's awesome. She says things in ways that I've never heard it expressed before, but I was finding myself like agreeing the whole time. So Jesse leads wilderness expeditions. She helps people see that they are, no matter who they are, even if they feel like they're ordinary, that they are in fact disciple makers. And so it's a great conversation. Can't wait for you to hear it. Today's episode is brought to you by... Red Letter Living. And one of the things we do is not only do we help individuals like you become greater disciples, but we really, I have a heart. I'm a fourth generation pastor. And so I have a heart to help other pastors and church leaders. So one of the things that I do is, and that we do is, is we formed a Facebook private group called Red Letter Pastors that I want to invite you, if you're a pastor or church leader, to jump into. We'll put the link in the show notes at redletterpodcast.com. But at Red Letter Pastors, we, we dive into community and conversation. We ask questions. We share resources. And one of the things that we do, the resources that we share is we do free monthly webinars. And we've got one coming up. In fact, it's coming up in just a little while. And it's featuring the third generation pastor, my dad, Mark Zender. I can't wait to interview my dad and have a webinar. My dad was in ministry for more than four decades and really led an incredible, incredible ministry and, and, and has led in churches uh, for four decades. And just last year, he retired. Kind of. In his retirement, he started a new ministry called Always Forward Ministries. And that ministry helps pastors and, and their churches with succession or, or leadership transition. Dad has firsthand experience. Uh, he helps churches do this. He's written material on this. And so we're going to have a great webinar. And you can find out more about that webinar at Red Letter Pastors in our Facebook group. So go to redletterpodcast.com. Don't miss it. If you're a pastor, like, ah, how do I know when is the right time? What does it look like? I don't have a retirement plan. Should I? Who should be involved? How do I know if I'm ready? Because let's be real. The last couple of years has been difficult. And, and many pastors have thought, I don't know that I have this in me much longer. So we're going to have that real honest conversation. Pastors, church leaders, you don't want to miss it. And so check out Red Letter Pastor Facebook group. You'll find more information again at redletterpodcast.com. All right, before we get into the conversation with this Harvard Pentecostal neurologist, <laughs> before we do that, if today's conversation is helpful, can you please do us a favor? Because we want to keep having these conversations. We want to keep bringing great guests to you. Will you please rate and review our podcast? Will you tell a friend in person? Will you share it on social media? Hashtag at Red Letter Disciple. And that really helps us continue on. Follow and subscribe on whatever platform. And here we go, Jesse Kirkshank. Let's do this. 
right, well, welcome to the Red Letter Disciple Podcast. We've got uh, amazing, they're all amazing, but this one's going to be really amazing. Jessie Crickshank is in the house today. She is a nationally recognized expert in both the fields of neuroeducation and experiential education. Get this, she spent over a decade applying neuroeducation research to uh, experiential education, adventure education, discipleship, ministry training. Chris, she connected her Harvard, yes, Harvard degree (laughs) in neuroeducation with her years of experience in outdoor adventure ministry. She's written a new book called Ordinary Discipleship, How God Wires Us for the Adventure of Transformation. And so I am excited to talk to this Pentecostal neurologist. I There's only one thing that kept me out of Harvard grad school. (laughs) That's not true. There is. And oh, horrible testing scores and a below average IQ. <laughs> so anyway, <laughs> welcome to the show, Jesse. It is great to have you on the show with us today. That's two things. How are we doing? I was going to say, also your math of counting. Man. Yeah, <laughs> I'm horrible at math. Also, I'm just <laughs> dreadful at math. Otherwise, you would have made it. I you was applied. almost in. My grandpa's favorite joke was, do you know what kept me out of the NFL? And I said, no. And he would say talent. And I, that's what kept me. <laughs> out of things as well. <laughs> Hi, Jesse. How are you? There you go. I'm fantastic. You're cracking me up. I hey, hope I uh, Jesse, make- are you from, hold on. I got this. Uh, Jesse, are you from Wyoming? Yes. Born and raised second generation. Really? Mm-hmm. Huh. That's interesting. I was just Googling some stuff about Wyoming because I don't know a lot about it. Did you know anything about oh, Wyoming? I know tons about Wyoming. Well, okay. Hold on. What is on the, no, 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 you buried yourself. (laughs) Now I'm going to quiz you because Jesse and I know this. Zach, what is on the Wyoming state flag? What animal is on the Wyoming state flag? No, there's no bears in Wyoming. Jesse, (laughs) tell us. There's actually tons of bears in Wyoming, but it's a buffalo. She's right. So I was right though, too. With the crest and, so it's like the Patagonia. Mm-hmm. like logo yeah. with, the, with the, the state seal inside of it. So actually I think Patagonia took the image from Wyoming flag. Is Patagonia a Wyoming company? Um, it's an outdoor company and Wyoming is rural. So there's like 500,000 people in the whole state. Yeah. So it's a population density of one. There are more people where I live now in the suburb of Denver I live in than there are in the entire state of Wyoming. Are there more bison than people in Wyoming? No, because we like we genocided the base the bison in the late eighteen hundreds, but there are more antelope than people in Wyoming. Okay, interesting. Oh wait, wait, wait. No, Chris's one home no. state of Iowa I has am. eight times the amount of hogs to people. That's true. So if you ever drive through Iowa and it's like, why is you know it still so bad? You know, in my, state? my Wyoming people have jokes about Iowa. Yeah, and so. You know, the common one is idiots out wandering around. That's the common one, right? Yeah. Uh, yes. You're a football fan, right? Yes. You Very do you much. like college football? Um, no. Do you like the NFL? Really. Josh, NFL, no. huge NFL yeah. fan. All right. Uh, I was going to tell a joke, but now, okay, I'll do it. Um, <laughs> what does the N on the Nebraska helmet stand for? Knowledge. All right. It's knowledge. It's knowledge. Everybody knows ripping on my <laughs> home state of Nebraska. All right. Now that we've got our home states Wait, out of the way. Can I do one more thing? One more. One more. Just real quick. Usually the game's at the end. Uh, Zach, Jesse and I know this, Yeah. but I guarantee you, I will bet you um, $1, a gentleman's bet, because gambling's probably illegal on this. Uh, what is the capital of Wyoming? Guarantee he doesn't know it. Guarantee it. Uh... Guarantee it. Cheyenne, you lost. No, that's totally right. We call it Shybraska. Yes, Shybraska. Why would you? 
Why would you call it Shibraska? Because it's like it's so close to Nebraska, and it's like the wind is blowing, and it... you can smell it. I get it. All right, Zach, go ahead, buddy. I'm excited. I got that right. All right, Jesse. I cannot believe you got that right. You've got a, a new book coming out actually later this year called Ordinary Discipleship, and so I'm pretty excited to talk to you because I, I actually love the the brain science the the background you've had with outdoor adventure and everything and so what i'd love to know from you what do you think holds back so many from truly becoming the disciples god has called us to be wow that's a great question like we're just gonna jump in the deep end yeah yeah yeah, come on just tell us everything you know go for it you know i i like to think about discipleship the way that jesus taught it and the way that disciples heard it Right. So not where we are today, you know, in 2020 something, you know, AD, but like in Jesus's day, what were they talking about? What did they hear? And when Jesus gives that great commission, you know, at the right before his ascension, he's like, go into all the world and make disciples. Like there was an idea that the disciples had when they heard that, that we don't have these days. Right. So when they heard that, they're thinking, Oh, well, that's a community thing, right? Because discipleship wasn't individual. It's done by the community, discipled the community. It was apprenticeship. So it wasn't like nobody went to seminary, guys. Like, right? <laughs> like it was apprenticeship. Let's live life together. Let's just let's just live life and learn about the kingdom of God. And then the goal wasn't knowledge or information. The goal was like a deep abiding with God, to be closer to the heart of God. So since then we've like taken all these wrong turns i think in the way that we think about discipleship like the last 1500 years so i like to say that constantine professionalized it so only professional clergy can be a disciple maker um the reformation uh, sermonized it so now discipleship is done through a great lecture the enlightenment rationalized it so now it's not about the minds of men and not the heart of god mm. the industrial revolution systematized it so now everybody has gone going through the same process. There's no like, how do you learn? What's God saying to you? You know, we're just going to run them through this Jesus widget making, you know, discipleship pathway. And then the evangelical movement privatized it, meaning now it's also a money making thing and it's an individual journey and it's not done by community anymore. So we've taken all these wrong turns over the last 1500 years. And I just think we're really far away from what, the disciples thought what Jesus communicated, um, at least in North America. I've never heard it said that way and broke down historically it's like that. She's from Harvard. No, but that <laughs> is what she does. That is absolutely That's why we have point. her on the show. That is so good. It Man. is so good. So for you going back, I, I think I heard you say it. So just clarify for you going back to how the disciples would have heard it. I, I heard it, it's a community-based thing. It's an apprenticeship type thing. Is that right? So, so yeah, community apprenticeship, back, heart of God, heart of God. Okay. Mm, mm. Really yeah, cool. proximity, proximity to God relationship, not information about God. Mm-hmm. That's good. So, mm. and I think that that's where, you know, obviously in your material, ordinary discipleship stuff, you know, you say Jesus didn't ask spiritual superstars to make disciples. He invited ordinary people into the adventure of fishermen, him. tax collectors. Yeah. And so as we think about it in that context, as opposed to this enlightenment, industrial revolution, all the different things, 
uh, I think it then becomes a little more possible for us. And so, right, the goal of this podcast is to challenge the everyday disciple to be a greater follower of Jesus. And so you've even told me like medio- mediocre people can make disciples. <laughs> and yet, when thank I, God. <laughs> when I look around, no, yeah, I'm not good at much. <laughs> So, but, but you are a great dresser. Thank there you. you go. Yeah, that's something you bring to the table. I like it. Your red sequins with your red hair, Jesse. <laughs> this is all spot on. Um, but when I look around, I don't think the average mediocre ordinary person thinks that they can do this. Mm. And so, so help those of us who feel ordinary oh, and mediocre so understand how. This is such a good point. And this is what I've noticed doing working with youth for the last 20 years. Parents now, like if they want their kid to be a good soccer player, they take them to a soccer coach and then they kind of say, you'll figure it out. And then when they want their kid to learn about God, as opposed to learning about it at home so much, they're like, oh, well, we'll take it to uh, we'll take our son to confirmation or our daughter to confirmation. You'll learn it there. And so we outsource a lot of this stuff. And then what happens is when we actually have to sit down and consult with our kids or teach our kids, it's almost like we feel like, oh, we'll just take it to the expert and let them the do superstar. It. Yeah, yeah, the superstars. Well, in the basketball camp and the soccer camps make a lot of money by helping you make that decision. Exactly. Right. They, they're invested in the fact that you're not training your own kids and right. that they're doing it. Right. right. So I think the average person doesn't make disciples because they've been told they can't. Mm. And then they've been given all these reasons that they can't. I mean, like if we look at those five wrong turns of history in our history of disciple making, who's qualified? Like who's left? You've got professional clergy who are highly educated, who speak well, who can create a systemized process and sell it to you. Mm. Who's left? Very few superstars. Well, highly educated is questionable, but yeah, go ahead. (laughs) They have seminary degrees. I have a neuroscience degree. I'm going to let that, you know, I'm going to acknowledge the expertise where it lands. I got you. But um, yeah, not a lot of people are left. And, and literally none of those things were the requirements that Jesus expressed or the discipleship, the disciples heard when they heard the Great Commission. So none of that existed before, like, you know, 300 something AD. Yeah, yeah. So we're trying to tell people you, you do have what it takes, even if you're average, <laughs> mediocre or feel ordinary. And by the way, all of us are. But for the grace of God, he makes us above average, extraordinary, amazing. So. And so we're trying to help the average, common, everyday person understand that. And what I think is cool about you is you not only have the education, but also the the brain science to kind of help alongside of this. And and so you say that God has wired our brain to make disciples. And, and I, I'm thinking, has he? Because it doesn't feel like we are. So ha- tell me how the brain is wired um, to make disciples, what that means for us. Yeah. So I'm going to I'm going to get slightly nerdy here. Just yes. Because everybody loves a little bit of brain science. Of course. (laughs) It's fun. Um, So there is a way that God created our brains. And and biology and the Bible are the two things that help me know kind of how to make my way in this world. So what's God's heart and God's intention for us and what did God say about it? And then how did he create us in a way to partner with that intent? Well, in your your brain, you have two different types of long-term memory. 
you have a long-term memory called semantic memory, and that's like your Jeopardy facts data knowledge, okay? So it's the thing that'll win you a lot of money on a quiz show. Probably <laughs> you at, you know, tap into it when you play the, the quiz games here. Mm -hmm. But it it's highly isolated in your brain, and it's in like in your prefrontal lobe, and you forget it like crazy, right? Which was like why it was amazing that you knew the capital of Wyoming because we memorize those things and our brain's like, oh, that's just kind of taking up space and I don't really care. And it dumps it and it doesn't even ask you about it, right? It just forgets and it doesn't talk to you about it. It doesn't ask your permission what it's gonna forget about. Yeah. So that is one type of long-term memory. And the one that mostly that we use in disciple making in, in school-based life. Okay, the other type of long-term memory is called autobiographical memory. And it is connected in your brain like with the rest of your brain. It's connected with your heart rate and your breathing rate and um, the way that you see other people. So empathy and morality and all of these things. It's your story and it's your identity. And your brain is highly invested in keeping it. So you don't forget things in your autobiographical memory very easily, right? Well, one crazy thing about it is that the way that you remember the past is the same way as you remember the future. So while it can, it can remember the past, it can also project into the future. Mm. It's the only memory system that does that. So if you learn something as a data fact, you cannot apply that to your life. It's literally the wrong system. So if I say how, you know, hey, the capital of, of uh, Wyoming is Cheyenne, apply that to your future. It's hard. Yeah, I don't know how. Yeah. Right? Because those, those parts of your brain are literally not interconnected. Mm -hmm. Now, I mean, you can say that to me and I can apply it to my future because I've been there. It's part of my story. Mm. If we learn that God is good in our semantic memory and it's not in our autobiographical memory, we don't have experience around it. We don't have revelation around it. We don't have story mm. around it. We literally cannot apply it to our life. Mm. And that is the biological mechanism of being educated beyond your obedience, because you can learn things about God. You can learn truths and even memorize them. But if they're in the wrong memory system, they will not change your life. They actually just inoculate you from realizing that you don't know it. Mm. But if we learn in our autobiographical memory, we learn by story, we learn by experiencing, we learn by relationship, mm. it automatically applies to our future. Our brain automatically does it. So God wired and created us to learn from each other's stories, to disciple each other through story, narrative, revelation, and it changes us from the inside out. You can't help but be changed by an aha moment. It changes everything, right? And so there's an easy way, the way God made us, to learn and change and transform. And there's a hard way, which is the school way, which very few of us excel at, and most of us don't, but it doesn't actually change our heart and our soul. Mm. So we can do things God God's way in their way easier and happen almost automatically, or we can do them the way that we've conditioned ourselves for the last 1500 years. And we got what we've got. I could listen to you for a long time. <laughs> that was amazing. And it, it makes so much sense because, you know, think about like the best sermons that you've ever had, or think about the greatest teachers you've ever had that were like really gifted. They use the art of story and you remember those mm -hmm. and they, you can like, 
I can't remember the, anything on the periodic table, but I can uh, remember my 11th grade world history teacher tying in a story with his own personal life. You know, yeah. that's um, beautifully said. Yes. So, uh, yeah. So sermons with story activate your autobiographical memory. Yes. Because you put yourself, you, your brain automatically mirrors them and, and puts yourself in their shoes. And now you're experiencing that with them. So story awesome. transforms us, data, facts, inoculate us. Take that, George Barna. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> so but they I, learn to be good storytellers, too. I know. I'm just joking. And, and I think I dabble in, in both worlds a little bit because I, I love, and so that's where I'd love to hear, uh, just help process me a little bit, please, so mm -hmm. I can understand myself. Because um, I love information. I, I love to mm -hmm. like learn, and I'm a content consumer. And, and so that's where I like, I, I love data. I love stats and I, I, and I like to use those to then project and to do this. And so I feel like I have that part of my brain and, and I think that's valid and, and helpful. But what I think I'm hearing you say is uh, for discipleship, we, we not only need that, but what we really need is story experience. Um, in my world, I use the word challenge a lot, uh, and, and I, I found that to be kind of a, uh, not in a bad way, but a trendy buzzworthy with the younger generation. They want to be producers, not consumers. And, and so it is, is the life of a disciple, uh, it, yeah, I guess I'm, I'm asking, is that what you're getting at? Is that information is fine, it's whatever, but, but until it becomes real for you, um, then, it, then it won't really impact the long term? Yeah. And there are people who can see story in, in data um, and memorizing something or, or storing one of those data facts, like gives us a little bit of like a joy dopamine hit. Um, the problem is just how much we forget them. Like we're, they're exciting on the front end. And like I said, our brain drops them and erases that and doesn't even like talk to us about it. Right. Your brain does makes a lot of decisions without you. Um, but some people can see story and data and, and that inspires them to deeper questions. But again, that's a small minority. And if we're gonna have you know priesthood of all believers and everyone's a disciple maker, then we have to look at what's universal about us and the way God created us that all people can do, not just design systems or, or have paradigms that only a few are gonna be successful at. We want things that everyone is successful at. And yeah. everyone can be successful at you know figuring out, hey, what has God taught me and that changed my life. And then how do I share that with you and let that, you know, because if a disciple is somebody who's changed by Jesus, then being a disciple maker is helping somebody else be changed by Jesus too. And that change and the challenge is in a very important part. You know, only a few people can look at data and be challenged by it. Most of us are just like, ah, okay, meh, moving on. <laughs> right. But challenge is part of the transformation process. And um, it's yeah, it, most people just aren't challenged by data. They ignore it. We have biases. We change it in our brains as we think about it. It's not yeah. a very reliable process. Yeah. Amen. Uh, so I, I love revelation like twelve eleven. right? It talks about that we're going to overcome the enemy by the blood of the lamb and our, our, the word of our testimony. And I think that's what you're getting at. There is a lot of times with apologetics, which there is a place for apologetics, um, but it, a, a lot of times apologetics becomes sort of data dumping or information sharing. And, and that can be helpful to know. And so it's not, you know, don't know or don't learn some things about God. But what's more powerful and what people can't argue with is what happened to you and what story um, you had. I, I want to ask you, Jesse, because uh, I, I think you're in an interesting spot with uh, you're, you're a, 
a faithful person who's writing books and helping people spiritually become great disciples, but you've also had a lot of time and space in education with science. And I, I feel like those two worlds, science and faith, oftentimes in the public uh, are at odds with one another. But I actually think the people that are in it, uh, many of them are, are finding that they really relate well to one another. What, what's been your experience kind of bringing science and faith together? Are they already together? How do we wrestle with that? Oh, that's a, that's a fantastic question. I mean, most of the breakthroughs in science have been done by believers who had some sort of word from the Lord or the Holy Spirit showed them something, whether you're talking about the planets and the cosmos, whether you're talking about genetics and, you know, Gregory Mendel. I mean, it used to be that this is part of that isolation away from community to be trained clergy thing. Like they were the scientists, right? To be, I mean, and, and, and honestly, if we look at what a definition of science is, theology is also a type of science. Mm. So those used to be the same professional, right? They did research. They were like, hey, God, what's happening? They they both used the Bible to inspire and to understand, to debrief. Um, that happened for a super long time until really just like the last hundred years. Um, so the separation of science and theology or science and faith is a fairly new phenomenon. Um, I mean, it was the clergy who knew how to read, right, for like the entire dark ages. So it, it, yeah, the separation is new and it's actually, it wasn't created by science. It was created by the church. Interesting. So I, I mean, <laughs> I probably step on some toes to share, you know, kind of what I think about that. But for me personally, um, the, I have, I have tech, I have nine science degrees and it is science that helps me see the wonder of God. There are things that science can't answer. I mean, science can only measure what it sees, but it can't see unless God reveals. So like I look at these pictures from the James Webb telescope and I'm like, oh my gosh, God is amazing. And then you read how much he cares about us and counts the hairs on it in your head. And you're like, what? Wow. And most of the people that I know who are professional scientists are, are agnostic or have some sort of faith. Like it's easy to see that we're not the measure of things. We're just an observer of something that an entity out there has done. That's amazing. So most it's really fascinating for me how many scientists believe in God and how many clergy may not believe in science. It's really a one-sided fight. That's really interesting. Yeah. But do you feel like what you just said, do you feel like that's portrayed in the, the media or, or not? Because I think from my it perspective... depends on which media you're looking at. It sure. depends on the... I mean, yeah, you've got a few people who are angry atheists in science, but they get all the media coverage yeah. and they're the ones that, that then... You know, you've got three people who are saying something that's that's antagonistic and inflammatory. And then everybody just rallies against that instead of actually seeing, OK, what is what do scientists actually say yeah. themselves as a whole? And it's the extreme but, voices that get heard that's right. most. Yeah. And so that that's what I, yeah, I'm picking up, which so. is why I'm becoming an extreme voice next. <laughs> I am. I'm trying to look to elevate my platform. A little bit. Hey, so we have a mutual friend. We all do Jacob. Mm -hmm. And he was talking. You've got quite an interesting family. Um, <laughs> and I'm sure nobody needs to tell you that you've lived it. Uh, but the thing is, I heard that your dad is uh he's a semi-famous kind of high altitude mountain climber is this correct yeah yeah he climbed um he well he was on an everest expedition in 88 for the wyoming cowboys on everest wow. north side of the um 
of the mountain. They had the first use of the hyperbaric chamber. There's Whoa. A about that. They had the first fax machine satellite phone on Everest. Um, they didn't summit because the the monsoon season came in. There's 175 mile an hour winds that took the top camp off the mountain. Holy. Um, but he was a guide on Mount McKinley when he was 17. Wow. And he taught me how to climb when I was five years old. And we just went on an expedition last, uh, in December to Antarctica. My dad and I did. You did. I like, so talk about that real quick. Cause I heard Antarctica is not like the easiest place to <laughs> hang out. No, I mean, it was amazing. I loved it down there. It was their summer. Um, we had to cross the Drake on a ship twice and that was, I get seasick. So mm. that was an experience, but Antarctica was fantastic and phenomenal. And my dad's 74 and it was like a big lifetime expedition, um, for the both of us. So, and, and your uncle, uh, was a protege of Andy Warhol from what I, yeah. So this painting, I, I was trying to figure out I was watching on YouTube. Oh yeah. So he did that. Yeah. So He's a, um, a Western pop artist and um, is in a lot of museums, but I traded him an essay for this. I said, um, I need me some Clint Eastwood, 1967 Clint Eastwood in my life. So he painted this for me. And um, it's one Wait, of you had to give him an essay like there was exchange of goods for this to happen. Yeah. I mean, he didn't publish that book, but I've written other, you know, he 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 sees art differently. Um, than some people. And so he manages his own narrative and writes books about what he thinks and publishes oh, himself. So part of your uh, story that I probably picked up the love of wilderness and outside adventure, uh, ministry camp, all that sort of stuff from your dad, um, because you, you were a wilderness guide in for what, 10, 15 years, I think it was. And you yeah. took, uh, you've taken many people on these journeys and, and you, use them to actually help people discover who they are as disciples. And so I'd love to hear from your perspective, like what are a couple of the key takeaways that you've found in these wilderness experiences that can help shape us as disciples? Is that one of those things like in Arrested Development where you take them out to the sweat lodge, the CEOs of the company, and you just really break it down? Is that what's going on in these things or? Not quite. Um, oh, okay. nice. Sorry. I... It's much more painful than that. Um, so <laughs> <laughs> I was a professional rock climber when I was a teenager. And then right out of college, um, I helped build a wilderness guiding school um, that, that used 40 day, 40 night expeditions for immersion discipleship. So, so deep transformation. And these are adults and some college age students. Wait, you would do it for 40 days. Yeah. That's amazing. All right, go on. Yeah. That's why I said love or painful. Um, so like the book actually tells stories of, of these expeditions and the model of disciple making and training people how to be disciple makers is what we did there. Like I didn't actually go to Harvard to learn this stuff. I took this stuff to Harvard. Um, I learned this in the wilderness just like reading my Bible, looking at research and saying, how do we do this effectively? Like, how do we have a conversation that changes somebody's life? And so in the wilderness on an expedition, like you have to learn how to be with people and, and your real self comes out rather quickly. Like somebody who's really good faker can make it a week. <laughs> and then you've got like, you know, <laughs> 33 more days. Yeah. <laughs> and wow. you, and your stuff comes to the surface and you have to deal with it. And so real transformation, super amazing transformation happens to everybody. 
So, so this disciple making training comes out of how did we train the instructors to lead these expeditions and have a high quality, effective, non-evacuation, you know, <laughs> non-traumatic experience. Because we wanted a divine human encounter, but we didn't want it to be like die or trauma, right? right. So how <laughs> do you do that? And the amazing thing about the wilderness, like one, you can't fake it. You're just there. You're real. You're smelly. Like you learn everything about each other, which is why I have a different perspective on Jesus living with the disciples. Like he was vulnerable with all of them. You guys, he wasn't just vulnerable with three. Like when you live with people, you learn all the things about them. Yeah. So you're on an expedition. How do you do this? Well, and it's about learning what's your responsibility as a guide and what is the part that they have to choose for themselves. So in a discipleship journey as a disciple maker, the person will come to a moment where they can be transformed and, and have the aha moment, but they have to choose that. You can support them. You can love them. You can hold space for them. And you need to do all of those things, but only they can make that decision on, and, and lean into that space and the challenge that God has for what he's wanting to teach them. So that's what you can't do. But what you can do is you can walk alongside them and have God's eyes, God's heart, God's tone, God's timing, so that you're part of the solution and not part of the problem. So um, how you're many of these did you go on? How many did you lead of these 40 days? So um, so I was the inst- I was one of the directors. Okay. And I, I trained the instructors for it. So many 21-day trips for training the instructors. I see. Yeah. And then, um, uh, yeah, so I've personally been on expeditions for 40 days, like with my dad up in the mountains. Sure. And everything. But I was was the, yeah, the architect, one of the architects, one of the designers, and and one of the trainers for the, the staff and teaching them. They're three a summer. And they and the Solid Rock Outdoor Ministries has been doing them from since when did we we started that program in two thousand five two thousand six. Did you like so you have to pack a, a bunch of food or what? What's going? I'm I'm so curious about the dynamics of. Let me just tell you a quick story, Zach. Hold on. So I have a group of guys. We go to this island over in Florida, and we all like to fancy ourselves as fancy fishermen. So the first time we went, we said, we're going for three days and all we're taking is water. We're going to catch all of our fish, you know? So day one, it's just torrential downpour. We catch no fish, you know? And so like, we're essentially fasting at this point. Day two, we catch like one small fish that we can't even keep. And we find out that a dude brings a can of pinto beans so we start a fire and we're cooking pinto beans on day two by day three we're ready to paddle the boats back and just call it a night like we're starving at this point we're smelly we hate each other we're all wet like i'm saying that's discipleship i think oh it's discipleship because we did you miss your aha moment what was your aha moment yeah bring food was my aha (laughs) moment next time that's my key takeaway no we had some good talks and stuff at night it was great but mm-hmm. we were all starving and i lost about 72 pounds on the whole no I'm- <laughs> so uh, i'm wondering like that to me sounds incredible to go out and and zach and i have said this the best discipleship work happens especially with young people when you can pull them out of their environment and you control the time together so 
I, when we go on a mission trip, we take all the kids' phones and then they shake for like three days. And <laughs> then they're like, oh my gosh, I really not, like not having a phone. I'm like, duh, yes, it's great. But then when you control it for seven days, you start to see these amazing breakthroughs start to happen. I can't even imagine what that would be like on a 40-day trip or a 21-day trip. That's yeah. awesome. Yeah, yeah. We would, we'd have 10-day food rations. I mean, I've carried up to 120-pound pack nine miles, you know, one day, like off trail and, and stuff. Yeah. I, I regularly carried more than a hundred pounds as a, as an instructor, um, wow. which is why I have shoulder issues. <laughs> <laughs> My body reminds me of that. Yeah. But, um, you know, the, the interesting thing about discipleship is that it, it's that what should you control and what shouldn't you? And I think we've spent like 1500 years, 1800 years, training and equipping people for the wrong things and missing all the amazing opportunities and learning how to facilitate the right experiences and the right conversations. We haven't equipped people in partnership with God's design for discipleship. We've been, we've been doing something else for a long time. So yeah, it's easy when you partner with the way God made us. It's mediocre. People can actually do it. Oh man. I like that a lot. So if someone's looking for like where to start, then Mm. where, where would you recommend um, like them, a- them going. Cause obviously, uh, you know, as much as it'd be great, everybody to jump out there and do a 40 day mm-hmm. outdoor adventure experience to learn all these things. Not everybody will. Um, but so where would you, where would you, yeah. Counsel somebody to start if, if they're looking. Yeah, I think we, we devalue the things that heaven has taught us personally. Like there are our aha moments and revelations from God. And so I want to encourage people to start with just pay, recognizing those, paying attention to those, you know, can you articulate that in five minutes or 500 words if you're a person who writes and just what is that aha moment, right? And and I use the hero's journey. I teach everybody the hero's journey as this framework because the hero's journey is this amazing pattern that is in every culture of human history. So it's kind of written on our hearts and I feel like it helps us recognize the journey of discipleship. So the hero's journey was... Um, uh, named by a guy named Joseph Campbell in the 50s, based on some research he did into epic stories of yeah. of civilizations of human civilizations, and it and it has these parts, right? So there's an ordinary person in their regular life, their status quo life. They get this call to adventure, they reject it, but then other people come and help them, and they're like, okay, and then they like struggle and learn and struggle and learn until there's like this big climax moment, right? We know this story. This is story. Yeah. Yeah. Big climax moment something changes they have to be they become something different and then they go back home and the world that they're from hasn't changed but they have and that kind of sets up this you know the tension for the sequel so when i teach people this then i'm like okay look at your life like what was your status quo what was the challenge god brought to you what did you learn what was the struggle like what was the pain like what was the thing you had to unlearn and and then what was the aha moment Hmm. And just looking at that for like uh, one aha moments, and hopefully we have more than one in our life, right? (laughs) So just articulating that in five minutes, practice that. I've got a template on my website to help people do that. And then practice telling that to someone else. And then that's what it is. Hmm. And we make it more complicated than that, but at its most simplest form, that's what it is. And you know what? A nine-year-old can do that. Hmm. A middle schooler can do that. A person who's neurodivergent can do that. Like, anybody can do that. Yeah. And and I, what I feel like is we're in a critical time 
in our, I would say our nation, uh, where to be Christian, it, there's still 63% of people that say I'm a Christian. And despite what the media says and what we may feel like, that's still almost a two-thirds majority. But when you look at who's actually practicing and then also their overall well-being and satisfaction in life, like there there are, are, are not major discernible differences. And in some places, there are no discernible differences of a follower of Christ or a Christian than a non-Christian. And so I feel like we're at the place where I think there's just this, this apathy or something that's crept in that I'm, I'm hoping people can kind of recognize we're in a place where we need to answer that call right now. Like status quo for a lot of people who have lived out the American dream, they're not in good places. We're the most anxious, depressed, lonely uh, as we've ever been. And and so maybe speak to that. What are some like collectively some, some, it from your from your estimation collectively some some spaces where people can recognize the status quo is not where it ought to be right now yeah i mean i think people do right which is why they're deconstructing or they're questioning or where they're leaving their church or their just just all of the struggle and and thing that has come up for the last few years and i think i think god did that like i i'm not saying god did all of it but i think god is allowing this, this shaking. And the question is, what are you calling them into that call to adventure? What if they're going to answer a call? What are you calling them into? And if you're calling them into, um, something that looks like school and they're not good at school, that's not good news. If you're calling them into something that just gives them another list of all the things that they're doing wrong, that's not good news, mm-hmm. right? If you're calling them into some version of shame or, you know, identifying their failures like people are pretty aware of their humanity and their struggle so that's not good news so what are you calling them into well if you have a story of how god came through to for you if you know a miracle or a thing where you learned wow god loves me and i can learn to love myself because because of what jesus did that's good news if you can show them how the cross overcomes shame that's good news if you can so what are you calling them into? It's got to be the fruits of the spirit and joy mm-hmm. that people will respond to. So it, it's just really, what is the call? And if you can share the joy that God has actually brought into your own life, mm. not the perfection, not the fixing, right? And if I want fixing, I can find like, I can find a hundred products on Instagram right now to help fix me. <laughs> right. But like something that, I don't have to work at so hard because God's met me where I am and the like the amazingness of the cross like gets me there and helps me like that's good news. So share the actual good news from your walk with God and that'll be good news and call people into this life of, uh, of discipleship and being a disciple um, for people. People respond when it's good. They don't respond when it's no. Not yeah. good. So there's a new study in Omaha that Barna was a part of. And again, I know we're talking data and stuff. Mm, but, mm, mm. And essentially it it um it it said Omaha was the first city that they studied that there is legitimately no discernible difference um in overall well being and satisfaction in life between a Christian and a non Christian in Omaha. And I find that to be incredibly sad. Yeah. So that's part of my my thing is uh, why would you want to invite somebody to an unwell, unsatisfying, mediocre, familiar, fit-in sort of life? Yeah. And and so what 
what you just said about the joy, the good news. Like there is joy, there is good news. And I'm not saying that life is perfect and that you don't have hard days as disciples of Jesus. We all do. But I'll tell you every day when, I, when I'm doing it right, I wake up with meaning and purpose and fulfillment and joy, knowing that I can make a difference as an ordinary person. And, and that's that, that I feel like is what, what we got to share out there. And that's the difference between that um, data fact, memorizing, memorizing data facts version of discipleship versus the adventure where God is amazing and changes us from the inside out that he's actually created us to experience. So, so walk, walk through one of my favorite characters. It's also one of the favorite story of Peter in the in the Gospels. Uh, you, you also have an online course called Extraordinary Discipleship, which we'll put the link in the show notes. Really great. And one of the main focal points of that is kind of going through the hero's journey with the disciple Peter. So maybe help us understand the hero's journey and a little bit of the discipleship stuff you're talking about through through Peter. Yeah, yeah. So the, the online class is available right now. The book comes out in just a little bit. I, I do things in a wonky order. It's, you know, I'm, I, it's fine. Everything's <laughs> so, fine. I mean, Peter is great, right? Because Peter is, his ordinary world is he's a, he's a fisherman. And I don't even actually know if he was a good fisherman. Like when we encounter him in the Bible, he may not actually be a good fisherman. I don't never know. caught a fish without Jesus's help that we know of. <laughs> right? So he's so let's just call him an average mediocre fisherman. Yeah. Okay. Maybe James and John were the better fishermen. Right. Yeah. I mean, he clearly wasn't killing it when Jesus showed up, you know. So <laughs> and he said, So so we meet Peter on a bad day. Yeah. Right? <laughs> and Jesus does this miracle and they bring in all that fish, and Peter's like, Whoa. Mm. And Jesus, like, you know there's this, there's this relationship that Jesus is trying to uh, form with him. And Peter's like, dude, get away from me. I'm sinful. I'm no good. Like he has this paradigm of himself as, as a failure. At least that's that, that's how it lands with me. And Jesus is like, no, come with me anyway. I'm going to teach you how to fish for men. And maybe Peter was like, oh, maybe I'll be better at that than I am at fishing. I don't know. For whatever reason, he, he denies the call and he answers the call and, and then he teams with others. So he's already got James and John and, and his brother, Andrew, and then the rest of the disciples, right? So, so he teams with others and they learn new things together. Yeah. So ordinary person answers the call, teams with others, learn new things. And then they start to feel the struggle, right? And we know Peter struggled. So I love, I love Peter. He's, he's really one of my favorites. And, you know, he struggles with getting it wrong all the time. And sometimes he gets it right, right? So there are these moments that scripture shares um, where he has some revelation. So he's got the revelation of Jesus is the son of God. So when Jesus asks, who do you say I am? Peter's like, you are the Messiah. And Jesus is like, boom, you got it. Gold star, good student for the day. And Peter's like, yay, I'm going to be the best. Anyway, still struggling, struggles through the cross experience and then has this other, another very profound revelation Um having breakfast with Jesus on the shore, you know, after Jesus's resurrection. So he learns new things, but he feels the struggle. He screws it up all the time and he experiences revelation in that. And then on the other side of that revelation, he lives changed. Now he is one of the pillars of the church, right? He is someone in acts that were like, I want to be like that dude, right? We don't say that about the gospels. We say that about acts. <laughs> and so Peter goes on this journey like I said, ordinary person answers the call, teams with others, learns new things, feels the struggle, experiences revelation, and lives changed. 
And that's the journey of a disciple. And then a disciple maker walks with somebody through that and then discerns the seasons because discipleship relationships aren't like, they're not marriage. You're not with them forever. So they have seasons and, and God changes us. And then he has us go to other people or experience and learn new things. Right. So we have to experience new revelation, which usually has a different guide. So the only part that makes the difference between a disciple maker and a disciple is, are you leading or are you supporting you know, are you are the disciples walking in, disciple makers supporting them on their journey, and then the disciple maker discerns the season on, you know, when when that chapter is over and the sequel chapter is supposed to begin. And the Peter story is it's my favorite story. I, I spent a whole year plus writing Forgiving Challenge, focusing on that story. My favorite chapter in the Bible is John 21. Uh-huh. It's the chapter that never should have been there because the story was already written and closed out in John 20, and yet here's this beautiful example of forgiveness. But one of the things that I learned about that story that uh, stuck with me more than anything, and it, and it comes back to like sharing our story and how we were changed is, you know, almost all biblical scholars agree. There's four gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, but Mark was the first one written, but Mark was an eyewitness account. And so someone had to tell Mark uh, the story and uh, all the church fathers, Origen, Tertullian, and many others, Irenaeus, I'll say the person that told Mark the firsthand account of Jesus was Peter. And what I think is so cool about that is Peter is willing to share his own foolishness throughout the Gospels. Hmm. And John's willing to highlight it. <laughs> I know, right? I, there's that interesting dynamic yeah. um, that I, I've thought about a lot too, but I just love that he's gotten so content with his story and his journey from start to finish that he's willing to let us in on him looking like a fool in order that Christ would look like a superstar, which he is. And so I just love that. And I think that's so neat about when we go through struggles, like we usually do have an uh, an opportunity to share that story and that struggle with someone else particularly in a disciple-making relationship where, where that can then be a huge help to them in their future. Um, so uh, one more question on the disciple uh, hero's journey. Like, where do you find most people struggle in the hero's journey? Uh, so if the hero's journey is like answering the call, I think you said it's teaming with others, learning new things, feeling the struggle, experiencing the revelation and lives change. Like, where do most people today struggle in that journey? Yeah. And, you know, when you're climbing a a climbing route, the hardest move or the hardest part is called the crux. And then really hard climbs can have two cruxes. So they have two super hard parts. And I feel like the hero's journey is a double crux. It has two parts where people tap out. Um, The first one is answering the call. Right. Or like, you know what? I think you got the wrong person. Not me. Let me get let me send that to my pastor or to somebody else. I feel is a better superstar, you know, just, you know, Christian. Um, and, and so we don't step into the moment to share our story. So answering the call is the, is the first place. I think a lot of people turn around. And then the second place is as we feel the struggle, how are we interpreting that? Because there's a lot of theologies out there that interpret that as sin. They, they say, well, if you're not experiencing this overcoming or you're, you're having negative emotions or, it's not working, you know, then obviously you have sin in your life and, and, and they, and they frame for, for depending on the theology stream, different reasons that that is 
failure to feel the struggle. And they say the failure is because of sin in you. And so when people get there, if that's what they've been taught, or even, you know, the enemy interprets that their journey them, that way to them, they will turn around there and they will go back to, oh, let's just learn new things. Let's just hang out with people and learn new things. I don't want to feel the struggle. That's That means I'm in the wrong place. When actually the struggle is the right place. It takes 20% failure for your brain to learn. 20%. That's like a B minus, y'all. Like that's terrifying. <laughs> Some people are excited. They're like, oh, I have to get 80% right in order to like change. I'm like, you have to fail 20%. Like that's great. Like 20% failure is the optimum fail rate for the brain to grow Just, and to transform yeah. and to learn things. And so we feel the struggle. And and for all of these reasons, the enemy and other people, because it's it's emotionally taxing for them to hold space with you while you're struggling and you're a hot mess. Like we don't know how to do that. It's one of the main skills. Like their storying is one of the main skills we don't teach people. And then holding space with someone while they struggle is the other main skill that we don't teach people that we, that we should. And so if I can help be truth and light for you while you're struggling and I can be like, no, really, this is God, God's for you. And if God's brought you here, then he's got provision for you. Like there's mercy, there's grace, like, like God wouldn't lead you here to fail. Mm. So let's get through this and let's, you know, we'll, we'll sit in the snowstorm. <laughs> as long as we need to, we'll sit and we'll warm up pinto beans <laughs> until it's time to go back. And we'll, you know, we'll embrace the suck and feel the struggle. Right. We won't so it sounds like, it sounds like start, starting is hard. And then like that moment where things mm. first get difficult or there is that struggle. And that's why it's so important to do it in relationship with someone else. So they can kind of be that voice for you. Yeah. So let's say God puts it on your heart to help or disciple a certain person, or maybe like in the hero's journey, like you need that person in your life. So how do you approach someone like, I, I, Hey, will you disciple me or vice versa? Like, can I disciple you? That just feels like a weird question. And so how do you, how do you start uh, from the disciple or disciple maker process? If, if you're, if you're wanting to. Yeah. You know, I say that only another person can help you articulate what you almost know. You're not supposed to do this alone. You you have to have other people to get where you can't go by yourself and you can't go through the struggle by yourself and have the right revelation. We end up with the wrong revelation, like uh, God hates me or something. So, so when you're discerning and you're like, oh, I want to either be discipled or disciple somebody. I just really recommend that you look for someone who responds to you, who likes hanging out with you, who listens to you, that you have rapport with right? Because you need rapport and it's a trust relationship from both ends. Um, and so if you have this natural dynamic happening, you can choose to formalize it. It doesn't actually have to become formal. It can be like, I have people who are mentoring me without their permission because I go and I ask them questions and I'm like, oh, what did you do? What did you teach me? Like, like it doesn't have to be, we meet weekly and, and, yeah. and it's a big deal because sometimes people don't have that kind of time, but I still want to learn from them. And so I, I have them mentor me in a ninja way, or I can disciple somebody in the same way, or you can formalize and you can set a regular meeting time and, and make clear the expectations of, okay, we're going to go on this journey and we're going to see what God wants to do. And I have that relation. I also have formal discipleship relationships, both I'm being discipled and I disciple other people. So I think you just first look, who is God drawing you towards? Who's, who's God drawing towards you? And then, and then you pray about it. And if it makes sense, like, I don't think you should force it too hard. Um, 
And, and the truth is, is that you can, I can only disciple with my life, three people like life on life discipleship. There are three people who I've committed to answering the phone anytime they call. Um, as long as it's like not a meeting or something. Right. <laughs> so that's as much as I can do. But if we all did that, yeah. that's a huge yeah. network of discipleship and discipleship relationships. So I disciple multiple people. I think you should be discipled by multiple people. Um, and just, yeah, see, let it form organically. Like, like don't force date this situation (laughs) (laughs) and, and let it, let it be life-giving. That's I think really important. So don't do like a note, like, will you disciple me? (laughs) Yes, no. And pass it along. I mean, unless they're that kind and they'd love it and they'd be like, yes. Jesse, we ask all of our guests to challenge our listeners. So practically, we want you to issue a challenge to anyone listening that something they can do this week to grow in uh, in their faith as a disciple of Jesus. What would you challenge our audience? Yeah, I would say work on articulating one of those revelation stories and and finding a way to tell that in a way that's not distracting or boring because somebody wants to hear it, but they don't want to hear it for 20 minutes unless you're an amazing storyteller. So then, you know, great, go at it. But for the rest of us, like, think about that, kind of name those parts and then practice that because that story could bring some revelation or freedom or create an aha moment for another person. Cool. So whatever revelation moment, the aha moment that you've had with God, yeah, let's let's learn to craft that and and share that in a beautiful way, whether it's orally, written, whatever it might be. Let's tell the good news of Jesus, the joy that people can have. That's what's going to change people. Sweet. This was amazing, Jesse. I, I, I'm, yeah, I said so many things that I'm going to that I've already learned from, and then I'm going to listen back again and learn more um, because you're just a smart person. And I thank you for helping us on our journey. We're going to, you got a game? Yeah. Okay, great. We got a game for Uh, Jesse. You Um, know, one thing, thank you, Zach. I've got it from here. Um, So (laughs) thank you. Um, Jesse, how long did you live in Wyoming? Um, Until 2014. I'm not going to tell you when I was born because that would be mad. That's fair. Yeah. Um, so a lot, a, a couple of years you've lived there and you, um, you're a fan of Wyoming. I am. Yeah. Yeah. And Zach, have you ever been to Wyoming? No. Oh, well, this is going to be a tough game for you. Uh, we're going to play the game. Who knows more about Wyoming? Oh gosh. And, uh, let's see, Zach, don't stare at my computer. I'm Sometimes you like to cheat a little computer. bit. All right. Here is the first question. I'm going Wait, to do we, are you asking? No, I'll ask. I'll <laughs> you can both shoot in. Uh, Jesse's our guest. She goes first. Oh, okay. So okay. it's not like buzz. No, 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 no. How can we do that? All right, here we go. Uh, some, some, some interesting uh, quiz about Wyoming. Here we go. Cheyenne. No, that's not right. You can't. I didn't even ask. All right, here we go. This is the official state sport of Wyoming. Jesse. I would say bronc riding, bronc busting. Yeah, you're rodeo. right. Yeah, rodeo. Yeah, no, she's right. Rodeo. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Okay. I would have guessed that because no, you wouldn't. Yellowstone is close to that, baseball. and they're about yeah. You would have said baseball. Uh, all right, here we go. Uh, that is one point, and, gonna and we're going to go. This is going to be a landslide. I don't know. Why. I, no, it's not. I think it. All right, here we go. Zach, Wyoming has a lot of states that border it. How many states border the state of Wyoming? Six. 
That is unbelievable. I cannot believe you got that right. For bonus is that points, right? Yes, it is. Can you name them? Nebraska. Yeah. All right. That's good. That's enough. All right. Uh, let's see Montana? here. Montana? Who knows? Nobody knows. Colorado? All right. Um, <laughs> uh, the Dakotas, right? Zach, we'll come back. We'll come Just back. one. Two. Uh, South, Zach. Right? Zach. Okay, go ahead. All right. It's one to one. One to one. I, Idaho and Utah. Okay. All right. There, there we go. go. Uh, nobody's ever been to Idaho. Here we go. Uh <laughs> <laughs> Two of the world's biggest blank mines are in Wyoming. Two of the world's biggest blank, M-I-N-E-S, are in Wyoming. What are they? You're asking me? Yes, I you're don't up. Know. Say coal. You got it right. I cannot believe it. Two oh, of the yeah. world's biggest coal mines. It's a total gas. Are- and then there's natural gas, but it, I don't think it's it's in the to- one in the top of the world, but not obviously not the biggest one. Oh my goodness. I did not think that Zach would actually score one point. All right. The world. Here you go, Jesse. You're a climber. You take people out for literally weeks and uh, help them become disciples. Wyoming's highest peak is at 4,210 meters or 13,810 feet. What is the name of Wyoming? What? Gannett. It's the it's the hardest to get to like highest point in the state of all the lower 48. Hmm. It takes days and miles, like 15 to 13 miles hiking and over another pass to even get to it. So have you been on that? Um, I've been on the glacier below it. Yeah. Okay. Okay. What was our, crew, our, our people, our expeditions would climb it if the conditions were right. Mount Gannett. Is that what you said? Gannett, just Gannett peak. Cool. Uh, this is there the tiebreaker. Go. It goes to Zach. First, here it is. Zach, although Wyoming is one of the most landlocked states in the entire continental United States, this state actually has this many named islands closest to the pin. How many islands are there in the state of Wyoming? Zach, go first. 22. All right. Do you say, Jesse, higher or lower? Higher. That's it. 32. Jesse, you've destroyed Zach. <laughs> Three to two. Jesse clearly is the champion. She knows Wyoming way better than you do. Thank I you. I thought I did pretty well, actually. Oh, you did amazing. Most people, like at Harvard, when my phone would go off, it was the, it's the good, the bad, and the ugly theme. And like in the library, they would be like, oh, Montana. Like like for them, the fact that Wyoming existed was like a black hole in their brain. So, good job, Zach. Good job. Awesome. Well, hey, Jesse, if people want to find you or connect with you and all the things you have going on, where can they find you? So on Instagram and Twitter, I am Your Brain by Jess. Oh, I'm fine. And then um, the website where you can learn more about the online class that's that's already available for individuals and church groups. Um, and then sign up for the um, upcoming book, which you can pre-order. Um, that's Whoology, W-H-O-O-L-O-G-Y, Whoology.co. Awesome. So Your Brain by Jess. Oh, I might, that's also a website for my blog, but that's like- I just, I just followed you. Boom. Boom. You got um, that. And we'll put all those links in the show notes as well. And so Jesse, thanks for uh, spending some time with us and helping us discern this discipleship stuff and- helping me understand how my brain functions. And uh, yeah, you're a blessing you know, to us. I, what I really I'll send like. send you the bill for therapy later. Yes, thank you. <laughs> no. Uh, send it to him. He's, <laughs> I love just how you break it down. Like so many times I will speak with people who are way smarter than me. 
and I leave the room more confused. And I just feel like you've got a really simplistic approach that yeah. everybody can relate to. And I think everybody should go to this website and learn more. Amen. Amen. Well, thanks, Jess. God bless you. All right. Thanks, guys. It's been fun. Thank you. told you, right? She's really smart. She said some things that you agreed with that like, you hadn't heard in the way that she framed them. And so, hey, if you want those tidbits, if you want those highlights, we've got them in the show notes. If you want to go further with Jesse, you feel like you're an ordinary person that, 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 that ah, I don't know how to make disciples. Uh, we'd love for you to do that. We're going to put links to not only her, her online course that she already has available to help you, but also you can pre-order her book coming out in just a couple of months at that link. Go to redletterpodcast.com. That's where all the show notes are. That's where you'll find more information about our sponsor, Red Letter Living, and specifically pastors and church leaders, how to be part of the Red Letter Pastors group so that you don't miss out on the monthly webinars, one coming up in just a little while with my dad, Mark Zender, talking talking pastoral transition and succession planning. It's going to be awesome if you're a pastor, not sure what it looks like to retire, to transition. If you're ready, when you should be ready, who should be involved? We're going to dive into all that stuff with Mark Zender, who now leads Always Forward Ministries. We'll put the link for that ministry as well. Next week's episode, baby, come on. Next week's episode, what's it like, seriously, to sit in the Oval Office with the President of the United States of America? What's it like to be the spiritual advisor to a president in our nation? Not many know, but our next guest in next week's episode, Dr. Joel Hunter knows what it is like. So he's going to bring, he's going to bring some stories to us, let us in on what he felt in the moment when he was in the Oval Office. He's going to tell us some things that that we don't understand about what it means about the, the role of president. And then what is our role? as everyday disciples, and even if you're a pastor or church leader, what, what's our role politically? How, how do we handle politics in, in a, a nation and a, where, where, we, where, let's be real, it, it's been too combative, even for Christians, even for those of us that have the label of disciple. So it's a really incredible opportunity to learn from someone who has firsthand experience and to hear amazing stories that I guarantee you've heard, you've never heard some of these stories you're going to hear next week. And so don't miss it. It's coming next week. How do you not miss it? Follow and subscribe on whatever streaming platform. We have video on YouTube. We have uh, these on every major platform. So whether it's Apple Podcasts or Spotify, hit that follow or subscribe, that plus button. You know, you know what it is in your platform. And it's all coming back next week for free at the Red Letter Disciple. So we'll see you back next week. A Huda Media Production.